0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in, our weekly opportunity to talk some baseball with you. Unfortunately, this week probably don't have quite the positive tone that uh, we had last week when it comes to baseball potentially being played it was not a great week in terms of the negotiations between players and owners we'll get to that coming up in just a few moments also our featured guest this week we're excited for this conversation brian anderson the tv voice of the brewers also uh, does a lot of national work for turner sports with the nba he was part of the uh, broadcast of uh, The Match with uh, Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods and Peyton Manny and Tom Brady uh, recently. Does a lot of golf work, uh, does college basketball work. You see him on Big Ten Network. He's all over the place, and uh, now he's appearing on Brewers X-Drains, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. So the conversation with B.A. will be coming up here in just a few moments. Our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast, if you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is find me on Twitter, at Matt Pauly on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air, and if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcast, I would encourage you to uh, subscribe and also leave a ranking and review. That helps us uh, move up the charts and everything, and more people find the podcast, and that is always a good thing. Last week, if you listened, I had a really positive tone. I thought things were happening. Uh, I was expecting hard negotiations between players and owners, but I thought, They would work through it. I thought it was going to be a very active week in terms of negotiations, and eventually they would find some common ground. I couldn't have been more wrong, to be perfectly honest with you. The the negotiations are going on, and they're hard negotiations. I guess I was right on that part, but as far as the activity and the back and forth that I was expecting, it didn't happen, and to be perfectly honest with you, that's, that's really disappointing. It's incredibly disappointing the way things went this past week. Basically, and you probably know this if you're listening to this podcast, the owners gave an economic proposal to the players. It included incredible, very large pay cuts, especially for the players who were making the most amount of money. It was a tiered pay cut system, so you took a larger percentage pay cut for the more money that you ended up making. And then players who made less money would take less of a percentage pay cut. That wasn't going to fly with the players. It just, it was not going to fly with the players as I record this. It's a little bit past 7 o'clock on a Sunday evening, May 31st. As I record this, there has been no official response from the Major League Baseball players back to the owners. The different national riders out there have reported that when there is a response it's really not going to be a response it's more just going to be a proposal from the players and they're not even going to really acknowledge the things that were in the first economic proposal. So while owners want these large pay cuts for the highest paid players and want an 82-game season, and, and they want to be done uh, around October just to make sure that if there is a second wave of the coronavirus, they've got enough time to be able to uh, get all the way through their playoffs. From a player standpoint, they want more games. They want upwards of 100 games to be played this year, and they want a prorated salary. So part of why they want more games is if there's a pro-rated salary, you are taking how much you are going to get paid divided by the number of games you play... So playing 100 games, you would get paid more than, say, if you played 80 games. So that's where they're coming from at this point. The proposal was sent. And look, I know lawyers are involved, and there's lots of language, and and it, you can't just like re- get the proposal and an hour later have a response. But I thought it was going to be a week where they were able to go back and forth a little bit. And that hasn't happened. Last week on this podcast... I was incredibly optimistic that a season was going to get done and they were going to work out everything. I still think they will. I'm still. I don't know what the percentage is at this point, but I'm still above fifty percent that there is going to be a season this year. But if if last week I was above ninety percent, I'm way off that now. I'm a whole lot closer to fifty percent now uh, than I was before. I'll, this is this is what I continue to hang on to, and until they miss the season. I will probably continue to hold on to this next statement. There are too many smart people on the owner's side and on the player side to allow them not to play a season this year when they're haggling over money, when we, uh, when we have the economic uh, situation that we're in right now as a country. The optics of this look Horrible. Whether you're on the player side or on the owner side, or whether you fall somewhere in between, I think most people, 99.9% of people, can agree that the optics on this look absolutely horrible. Buster Only of ESPN.com wrote uh, a piece that uh, went up on ESPN.com on Sunday. And th- there was a note in his column where he said there's a number of Major League Baseball owners out there. He didn't give a number. But he said there are certainly some teams and some owners out there that would actually prefer to miss the season if it's a scenario where you would lose more money by playing a season. I hope that that does not represent a large percentage of owners, and I don't think it does either. I. I know the owners don't want to lose money. I know the owners are going to fight tooth and nail to create a, an economic environment in baseball where they can save as much money as possible. But I just maybe maybe I'm just too utopian when it comes to things like this. I just can't believe that a majority of Major League Baseball owners would prefer to miss a season than to play a season and lose more money, especially when they know that eventually. The profits are going to be there again, both from a money-being-brought-in perspective and from a valuation-of-team perspective. And that's the way these owners really make their money. they buy their team, they grow the value, and they get out, and they make a whole lot of money because of it. I don't think the values of Major League Baseball teams at this very moment are especially high, but they're going to get back there. yeah, Just because we're in a downturn from an economic standpoint in the country, which has kind of lowered the value of everything, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a bounce back. Nobody knows how long the bounce back is going to take, but there is going to be a bounce back, and all these teams being worth at least a billion dollars, essentially, it, that's going to be true once again. So I don't know. I, I don't know where it's at right now. It's frustrating because it just wasn't a good week, and the players are, are going to respond to the owners, and who knows how long it's going to take for it to go back in the other direction. Time is of the essence at this point. They want to start the season in about a month. They want to start the season in about a month. And they need two and a half, three weeks of spring training minimum. They were talking about trying to get spring training 2.0 underway in early to mid-June. I... They wanted a deal done by June 1st. That's not going to happen. This is the June 1st edition of the podcast. Unless there's negotiation going on behind closed doors that's being shielded away from all the National Baseball insiders, which I can't believe that's happening. Those guys have good sources. Those guys know what's going on. There's not going to be a deal done. And that makes the next three, four, five days incredibly important. If, if If we're doing this podcast next week and there's still not a deal done, I don't see how they start the season on Fourth of July. I don't. And with the owners being so worried about a second wave of the coronavirus and being so adamant that they they end the season by a certain time, we get to this point next week. All of a sudden, number of games are going away, and that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the players, even if they're getting, even if the owners finally give in and give them prorated salaries. Well, it's not good for the players because then you're going to be play, paying less, playing less games. It's not good for the teams when it comes to TV revenue and everything. It's not good for the fans. Less baseball is not good. Uh, the NBA and the NHL are looking at starting their restarting their seasons in late July, and the NHL already has their framework done. The NBA is going to vote on something this week. There's still a number of proposals on the table. Adam Silver, essentially, from the reporting, is going to uh, choose one, and the Board of Governors are expected just to approve whatever Adam Silver recommends. Those leagues are good. Now, the difference being they've played most of their season, so players have already made most of their money for the year. So they don't have that to fight over, where baseball players haven't made any of their money. Well, they've made some of it. They made In that agreement back in March, they, they got a little bit of money uh, to that they would just get whether there was going to be a season or not. But they haven't gotten most of their money. That's the point that I'm trying to make. On the, although the other side of it is if hockey would have canceled their season, if NBA would have canceled their season, you would have got it. You would have understood because there's, there's just not as much runway for, for those leagues as because they've got another season to start next year baseball had a little bit more runway, and now we don't know when it's going to uh, end up coming back. All right, as mentioned, uh, we've got a uh, very special featured guest on the podcast this week. He is the television play-by-play voice of the Brewers on Fox Sports Wisconsin. He does a lot of work on uh, Turner Sports, uh, NBA coverage, golf coverage. He was part of uh, the match with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Uh, Does college basketball as well. You see him on uh, Big Ten Network. I mean, this guy is everywhere He's one of the top national broadcasters in the country, and we're lucky enough to also have him as the uh, television play-by-play voice of the Brewers in terms of his local work. He is Brian Anderson. B.A., thanks so much for uh, taking some time, coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing great.
0: Good to be with you, man. How's life it's, the a poly household.
1: Yeah, it's different. Uh, I have a I have a 14 month old daughter. So I am I'm seeing oh. her a lot, which is fantastic. That's been of everything. The silver lining of everything is being able to have dinner with the family and spend time with my daughter. So uh, trust me, I'd rather there be baseball right now. But that's certainly mm-hmm. uh, the positive. How about for you? Is that uh, I got to think in, in your career, you probably haven't been as home as much now as you've ever been before.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does go back to when my daughter was uh, a toddler. And uh, I remember my wife and I were kind of on on opposite schedules. She was a school teacher and I worked at night. I worked games. So uh, forming those bonds that were never broken with my daughter back then, because I was with her all day, we really couldn't afford uh, daycare. Um, so she taught all day, my wife, and then I took care of our daughter. And then She'd come home three or four o'clock or I'd take my daughter to her school and we would kind of hand off like ships passing in the night. So I cherish those moments now, but not since then have I spent this much time with my now 20 year old daughter who is uh, at Marquette University, just finished her sophomore year. So it's actually been great. And it's been um, other than not having games to call and certainly my livelihood is in question right now, which (laughs) creates a lot of anxiety. But uh, trying to take this opportunity just to be home and be present with my family and, and just enjoy their company. And we, we seem to be getting along really well, which I'm really happy about. Um, I, you know, having been gone basically half of my daughter's life and half of my wife's life with my daughter, it's, uh, it's been really nice to kind of reset.
1: It takes I know with my wife, and, and, and before I was in Milwaukee, I was doing minor league baseball, and if I do college basketball. There's travel, and you're, you're away so much. It really does take uh, a special person and, and special family to be able to handle and support the things that, that you do, doesn't it?
0: It does, and I wouldn't be able to do it without my wife, of course. I mean, not only in the beginning, um, you know, she was – supportive. And she was the one who kept encouraging and knowing that this was a dream of mine and something I wanted to pursue. But, you know, more realistically, she had the job that we could count on. She she was a school teacher and very good at her job. She was always one of the most requested teachers uh, in her school each year in Texas. Back in those days, you could request the teachers and she, her list was always high. She was teacher of the year and uh, she had the steady job with health benefits and um, that really helped me be able to piecemeal work together and go find different broadcasting jobs. I mean, and, and it wasn't just like a small window either. We 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 existed that way for five or six years before I started getting any traction and started making any real income uh, doing this job. So uh, it was a long battle and I, I'm thankful for her every day and Uh, Every time I get a paycheck uh, twice a month, I'm grateful for that and uh, glad that we're able to pay our mortgage and (laughs) pay for all the things that sometimes were in question back in those days uh, when I was a minor league broadcaster. So, yes, I'm, I'm very appreciative of her and she's always been the support system in our family.
1: Let's go back to when everything got started because you're very involved in the NBA and you're very involved in college basketball, and those are the things that got impacted first when the Rudy Gobert situation went down and then college basketball conference tournaments start getting canceled and then eventually the NCAA basketball tournament get canceled. What was it like for you at that period seeing those things that you're so connected to all of a sudden just, just be gone?
0: Well, at first it was a little scary, and I was um, I was at the Big Ten tournament ready to call a game, actually. We were on the floor. Michigan and Rutgers were in their layup lines, and uh, we were ready to go. We, we, we were on the air, actually. Um, so Andy Katz uh, started the show, and they were coming to us, and then uh, we were told that the game was going to be canceled this is March 11th. I had just done an NBA game the night before in San Antonio, NBA on TNT game in front of a full house. And, uh, there were some safety protocols in place, but it it, it still was somewhat normal. And then I just, uh, I drove home the big 10 tournament was in Indianapolis. I rented a car. I drove home. It was about a five hour drive. I just took that time to reflect and just, you know, I, you knew it was going to be a while if the leagues were shutting down, this was going to, this was not going to be a quick fix by any stretch. Um, so Then I just started kind of coming up with a list of things that I could do, how I could serve, where I could serve and make an impact on people. And, um, you know, I was a little selfish. I'm not going to lie. It it was a little, uh, I was a little concerned and had some anxiety and wondering, well, you know, this is, I I make my living calling sporting events. And if there are no sporting events, how am I going to make my living? You know, so I'm doing the math and let's see how much do I have in savings to pay my mortgage and I mean, I'm no different than anybody else, uh, but at the same time, you know, I have been fortunate to work with two companies like the Brewers and and like uh, Turner Sports and Warner Media that, you know, they've maintained our level of salary for now. Uh, the Brewers have uh, taken a little bit off. We've taken a deduction in our salary, and that's understandable, but for the most part, we're still employed and waiting for games to return, but... After a little while in that on that drive, man, I just decided just, you know, take the, the selfish away and put the service in and whatever happens, happens and we'll make do and we'll stick together as a family. And but it, it, at this point, in that point, at that moment, just try to serve people as best I can. Uh, and that showed up in a lot of ways. And, then, you know, a lot of interviews and a lot of tape critiquing and the business that I'm interested in and then, you know, making donations uh, to certain groups that I believe in, like feeding America, um, so those are those are the things that we decided to do, and that's it's actually been really good mm-hmm. because it's kept me busy every day, and I, I've uh, I've enjoyed that part of it.
1: I wasn't expecting to go down this path, but I, I find it really interesting when you're when you're sitting there thinking, what can I do to help others, and the world around us is changing. Is it? Are you? Are you forcing yourself? I, do do things pop into your mind that are they're more personal, more selfish, and you're saying no, 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 no. I gotta I gotta focus on others, or is it just something that kind of comes natural to you?
0: Well, I think it's a new it's a habit now. I mean, it used to not be that way for me. I mean, especially back in the early years when I was grinding away. I, I mean, my faith has a lot to do with it. I didn't really come to the faith till I was in my mid twenties. Um, so that is definitely a, a starting place and an anchor piece for me, but I do believe it becomes a habit and the more every selfish thought, if you replace that with a thought of serving and gratitude, uh, then it does get easier. And then you almost feed off of it. And I really enjoy uh, being in a position to help people, um, not just with financial contributions, which we've made a lot. But also just, you know, in my in my field in broadcasting, I just decided to listen to tapes and critique tapes and help young broadcasters who are going to be facing a really tough job market, an impossible job market. But at least in this time, they can start working on their craft and calling video games, uh, whatever they can call right now. But uh, I've taken a deep dive and I've probably done, I don't know, five or six demo links a week. And I've kept a schedule, you know, like literally put it in a schedule time. I would never have to spend on, uh, on listening to so many tapes. I've done that or so many demos now. So I've been uh, making appearances at different universities and their broadcasting schools or their journalism schools, uh, zoom conferences, zoom lectures. So I've probably done, I don't know, six or seven of those. And then, you know, every broadcaster, a young announcer, typically wanting to start up a podcast, and so I, I feel like I've done a podcast a day for the last <laughs> month, uh, including this one, and I enjoy doing that. And I want, you know, I, if if they're uh, hungry for content and feel like I can add to that, then I'm happy to do that.
1: Yeah, I I see you on social media, and I see you doing something new every day. <laughs> I felt bad when I asked you to, to do this nah. because I do see you doing stuff uh, all the time. No, nah, I'm happy
0: to do it for you, man, anytime. I, I'm always happy to to do whatever you
1: want, Matt. You know that. I appreciate that. Uh, the The minor leagues, you came up in the minor leagues. It's such an important thing for, for growth of broadcasters, growth of baseball broadcasters. It's not official, but I think we can all see there's not going to be a minor league season this year. Right. How, how uh, I, I think about my 10 years in the minor leagues, and I go, what? how would have I felt if I lost a year and I would have been devastated? How bad do you mm-hmm. feel for... The, all those broadcasters across the country who don't have baseball to call this summer.
0: Yeah, you, you I do. It crushes me, man. It consumes me, honestly. I, you know, like the minor league broadcasters and the crew, our crew. So camera operators, our, our audio people, are you know, everybody involved in the freelance community. Those are the people that I'm most concerned about. It's not that I'm not concerned about people losing their jobs and going hungry. I am but this is what I know and I've lived and I know that feeling. I, I, I made it through an NBA lockout when I was a freelancer in 1999. I know exactly what that feels like to have your income stopped and have no possibility of doing anything else. It's you know one of the reasons I went into like a different industry back in those days, in the late 90s. Uh, thank goodness the NBA lockout only lasted three months, but we didn't know each day. We weren't sure if the whole season was going to be canceled. Um, so I know that well, and I I understand that, and I feel uh, great empathy for for those who are going through that. You know, not just from uh, an actual where the rubber meets the road, you know, meals on the table perspective, which is is the thing that crushes you, but also having the ability to have a place to do your craft, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of broadcasting jobs. It's a lot of, of things that, uh, aren't available to call, you know? So that's one of the reasons I've literally told so many my current minor league broadcasters and young announcers, like it's so hard and you're going to have to have so much discipline, but fire up NBA 2K and call games. I mean, it really is, or MLB the show. It's just like, you have to keep yourself sharp. You have to record yourself. It's the only way to come out of this on the other end. And you know, that's, that's depressing to think about when you've been calling games and now you're, you know, maybe calling it off a video game. And I did that. I remember doing that like with Sega, Sega hockey back in the day. Um, so my, my heart goes out to that community and, um, I, I wish I could just snap my fingers and fix it all. So in the meantime, I'm encouraging everybody who had those kind of jobs to keep producing content. Um, I'm on an iPhone right now. We're on a zoom call. I'm available. Let's do it. Let's do an interview. Let's talk about um, whatever's on your mind. And it doesn't matter if people aren't watching, but it forces you on the air and it forces you to prepare and think and, and work through it. Who knows, maybe it'll catch fire and it'll be something that a lot of people enjoy, but um, during this time right now, it's important to keep your mind active and keep doing what you're trained to do or what you want to do with your life.
1: So are you a hockey fan if you're doing uh, – if you if you were doing – No. You know, okay. Just- <laughs> no, I don't – I mean, I love – I
0: like hockey. I'm a fan, and I, I've been to a number of games around the NHL and playoff games, and I love the atmosphere. I would never call hockey, though. I was terrible at it. I was just – I was all about the, uh, you know, like the big calls. He shoots and he scores, and, you know, like – you know, I, I would try to just describe what I saw because the sport was so foreign to me, but I was actually pretty good at Sega hockey. Okay. I always took the, the San Jose Sharks, that was my team, which remember they were the worst team. And then I won the Stanley Cup with the San Jose Sharks one year in Sega hockey. So I felt pretty good about my skills.
1: I spent one weekend as the Boston College hockey broadcaster, and they were on WEI at the time, and I was not good. And all I could think <laughs> of the whole time was, I am broadcasting on WEEI right now, Boston College hockey, and I sound atrocious at this moment. <laughs> Maybe I did sound as bad as I thought I did, but it was... Do uh, what you gotta to do, broken. man. Yeah. Do what you gotta do, right? <laughs> uh, this, this period right now, we're seeing the players and the owners go back and forth, and there's a disconnect I think sometimes with fans and, and fans don't want to hear about millionaires and billionaires arguing with each other. Do you, do you lament at all the fact that a lot of these negotiations are happening in public and not behind closed doors just from a, from a fan's perspective?
0: Yeah, it's, it's always that way. And I, I hate it, especially now. It's just really tone deaf on everybody's part. And um, you know, I, I think, I think people want to, the first blame, wave blame, goes to the agents and the writers. And I just, it, it, these, this information is being leaked somewhere. It's being, because they want public perception. And, you know, I wish they wouldn't do it, but that's the way it's always been done in the sport. And it's the way it's going to happen. And people have their opinions and they're going to voice their opinions um, so I wish they would get into a room and work it out, but at the same time, I understand the point. I mean, owners want to make sure people realize how much they're losing players want to make sure people realize what they are giving up. I mean, you could make an argument that you should be be paid more to come back and play under these circumstances if you're a player i mean what happens if you have an injury what happens if you get coronavirus and your career ends i mean these guys have a really small window to earn an income and even though we think about ball players as multimillionaire ball players that that actually is very few of them that is a small percentage of players that make this giant income you know that is generational money that you know, their kids will be taken care of. There aren't many Ryan Braun's and Christian Yelich's and Max Scherzers that most of the players, and that includes all the minor league players, most of the players, they want to play. They need the paychecks. And so, uh, the, you know, the disconnect is between the top players who are kind of set. If, if Christian Yelich never played another game in the major leagues, he's fine. He's never going to miss a meal the rest of his life. Um, but there are players that will. And I think that's probably the point of contention where, you know, the the middle class of ball players and the upper class aren't exactly on the same page, but the middle class doesn't have quite the voice. And, you know, and then you can make the case on the owner side too. You know, some, every team's different. Some teams can absorb losing a lot of money. Their franchises are worth so much. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, it's not black and white. There's a lot of gray area. I wish they wouldn't deal with this in the media because it only, you know, you still need the fan base. We we aren't an industry without fans. And I would like to see everybody put the fans first in this, even when it comes to, can we take this behind closed doors and work out our issues and walk out the door together with an agreement um, or without an agreement, whatever it may be. And so I'm with you on that. Especially right now. It's just incredibly tone deaf and frustrating to read. So much so as a fan, I'm not even engaging in it right now. Hmm. Just tell me when I need to show up and I'll be there. If I even need to show up.
1: That's interesting because you are as impacted major league baseball and the NBA. You are you are connected with both. And so you're you're able to to disconnect and you're not sitting there seeing the last thing Jeff Passan said or the last thing Adrian Wojnarowski said. You're able to kind of take a step back and, and and know that you can't control it. So you might as well just wait and wait for the finish line.
0: Yeah, and I get asked about it all the time. All these interviews I've done, it's obviously come up, and I have obviously no impact on it whatsoever. I need to work. Just as much as anybody, so I'm not upper class, you know. <laughs> I need to do games; that's my livelihood. If I stop doing games right now, I would have to go find another means of employment. So, um, you know, it, it impacts me directly. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of what you read, and and I don't, I, I credit the writers for writing and, and presenting the news. That's what they're supposed to do. But uh, most of it has to do with one side or the other trying to get their point across. Um, You know, Twitter and social media has allowed players, especially, you never really see it from organizations, but players can make their case. I mean, Max Scherzer is literally negotiating on behalf of the players union on his own Twitter page, um, on his own Twitter site and his social media handle. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm just not going to get wrapped up in because um, until there's a green light, I mean, we've talked about what we're going to do if baseball and basketball and all the sports come back. What we're going to do as broadcasters and how we're going to do it, and we're having those discussions. But until there's a green light, there's really nothing for me to do except keep myself ready. So I'm just not going to – I'm choosing not to engage in that because it's unproductive.
1: You mentioned earlier how lucky you are to work for two great organizations in the Brewers and in Turner Sports for you. There's always an overlap at the start of the season. You've got NBA playoffs. Matt LaPlay is doing a, a bunch of games, and, and there's other times during the year that's the case. But this year, it could even it could be more extreme. How grateful are you that you've got these two different employers that do seem to really work so well with your schedule?
0: Yeah, I am lucky, and I'm uh, I feel really fortunate about that. And it, and it wasn't always that way, you know. When um, it was a little tense at, at a few points in my career, but ultimately we, you know, I think the the perspective for me was, or about me from the brewer's perspective was that I was using this as a springboard to another job, another location. And, and I didn't necessarily realize that at first, you know, it all makes sense now, but when, when I got here, uh, Matt Mascurgeon had been here five years, he bounced to the next job, a bigger job. And, san diego and then ultimately mlb network darren sutton was here five years and then he bounced to a a bigger job in arizona with the diamondbacks and so i didn't really fully comprehend that because when i when i got here that was a dream realized for me uh, i mean as it was for matt uh, and as it was for darren but I, I feel an extreme sense of loyalty uh to the brewers and i have always felt that so then it really just became a communications issue I couldn't understand why, you know, maybe they were going to let me do a few games, but not do a full package. And so there was a, there was always a little bit of back and forth there. Never got really terrible, but it was concerning that, uh, you know, at one point it was like, "Are you with us? Or are you with them?" And hmm. my answer was both. If can I be with both? Because I'd like to be with both. I'd like to do the national games and then also maintain my connection with the local team, much like Vin Scully did and John Miller and in the NBA, Mike Breen and Ian Eagle and Marv Albert for years with the Knicks and NBC. And so there were a lot of examples of broadcasters who did remain very loyal to their team. And I had a lot of conversations with those guys, guys like Tom Brenneman. And I spoke to Vin Scully about that often um, and John Miller. So, it was important to me to try to forge that kind of relationship but but once I realized that the major piece to that was me fully communicating that I have no desire to leave, I am not using this as a platform to move somewhere else. I was always I always had this label even in my interview in 2006 prior to me taking the job in 07. Even in the interview I was told that they're concerned about me as a flight risk Hmm. because my career was kind of on the rise. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not fair. Like, I mean, I want to be here, make this the place that I, that I want to stay. Like loyalty works both ways, right? You've created an opportunity for me. If you do, I want the job. Then it's up to you to create a place for me or or a culture for me to want to remain in. And that's exactly what they've done. I, I've had a lot of opportunities to leave and go elsewhere and go to different markets and go back home to Texas where I'm from. And I've not done it. I've turned all those jobs down because I like being here. And I don't know how many contracts I'm on now. This is probably my fifth. One. I've never gotten to the end of a contract. We've always either like renegotiated or 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 done an extension. But this is probably the fifth or sixth version of it going back to 2007. So... Um, that was the piece, the my, the moral of the story is like the communication piece to that and trying to understand the other side's perspective as opposed to wow well what why are they why don't they want me doing this i mean I, they should be encouraging me it's good for the ball club but you know they didn't want to have to go do a search every every other year every two or three years like mm-hmm. they had been doing for a new tv announcer so once we got that piece handled and you know Matt LePay has been great he's been a huge piece to that. And he loves doing it and he loves doing the Badgers and the bat in Wisconsin has been great with him to do that. And I don't know, it's just kind of the way the world's working now where you know, we don't have to be all inclusive with one organization. We can be, but uh, you know, for me, there's other parts of the year that I want to work and do what I do for a living. And everybody's been great to uh, come to an agreement on that. And I hope it continues that way.
1: How much does the fan base play into what you do, just in the sense that you're not broadcasting in empty stadiums for half the year. You're you're broadcasting for a team that gets really good support. Does that add to what you're doing and and the gratification in the job?
0: Yeah, you want to be in a place where it matters to people. And, you know, baseball in Milwaukee matters to people, and that's fun. I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a bonus and what makes it so intriguing. The ballpark makes it very intriguing. You know, I, I spend nine years calling minor league baseball and there's nothing worse than making that phone call home to tell your wife, you're going to be a, a while because it's raining and there's the tarp on the field. I can totally live with uh, home games, never being rained out and road games, enduring rain delays and whatnot. That's fine. I'm just going back to a hotel anyway. It doesn't affect me in the least. Um, but, you know, the roof and the retractable roof, the ballpark, the setting, the fandom, it's, it all matters. I love it here. I, I love Milwaukee. It's one of the more underrated cities in the country. Um, we love living here. So we, we're all in. You know, it's my 14th season with the Brewers. And, uh, of course, the fans are one of the main reasons why this experience, um, it, it, it's so great. You know, I could do this job in a lot of places. But this is where I've chosen to remain, and you know, as long as they'll have me, and the fans are a big reason why.
1: There's a high standard for broadcasters in this city, and you talked about the people who came before you on the radio side. Obviously, Uke Jeff is is fantastic, Lane, and uh, all of Uke's partners before Jeff and Lane were around. Is it mm-hmm. fun for you being part of the Brewers broadcasting lineage?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's some. Uh, there's definitely validity to that I <clears throat> I think um, I think they hire really well now this has been a lot of regimes that have gone through this and obviously Bob you when Bob Euchre's the anchor um, he's only gonna make his partners better youke um, is a m- huge presence and is just you know he's he's one of the all-time greats and He's one of those guys that, that brings a lot of eyeballs and a lot of ears, in, in his case, to the picture. So you can only be better by sitting next to him. That being said, uh, you can't be as good as Bob Euchre. It's just like working with Ven Scully. You just can't get there. None of us can get there. So he sets an impossible standard. Um, but I will say, you know, Bob's not a mechanics guy. He does not like to talk broadcasting, he's not into it. He. He's not gonna. He'll give you philosophical things, but he doesn't get into like how you call a particular play. He still thinks of himself as a player, a former player. He's, he's not, he's not like a nerded up broadcaster like I am. Um, you know, Jeff Levering and I, and Corey Provis and Jim Powell and Pat Hughes and all those who came before him, Joe Block. We we talk broadcasting. Like we get into the nuts and bolts and timing and rhythm. You're not getting that with Bob, uh, and that's okay uh, because he's he's just like an anomaly in the broadcasting industry and one of the greatest to ever do it. So I I think there is a little bit of that, you know, Bob and I have talked a lot about Milwaukee and why, you know, when you was doing the tonight show and doing Mr. Belvedere and the national games, and he was missing a lot of brewers games back then. And so that is one place that we've been able to go to and have those discussions. And, you know, he was really helpful in that. And at the same time, I I feel like, uh, you know, I, I resonated with his, his wanting to be loyal to Milwaukee and the Brewers. And I felt like I could I could certainly stand behind that because I felt that way. And that's, that's when I talk about the communication piece. Uh, he really helped me navigate through that. So, it, you know, its it's been a great run. But again, when you come to Milwaukee, it's almost like there's an expectation of you have to be able to, to deliver and the fans deserve it. And so it does push you. Um, and I think most major league cities are that way. Um, maybe they, they don't have a lineage like they do in Milwaukee, but you know, most major league cities, when you're calling games, there is a level of excellence that you have to achieve even to be considered Mm -hmm. and then to do the job well, you've got to, you've got to go beyond that. So I feel that burden every day. It's actually good. It's actually a good thing to have those expectations on you because it forces you to live up to those every day.
1: Last topic for you. You were part of uh, the the golf tournament, the match uh, that they they just recently did on, on Turner. It seems based on the television ratings, just about everybody was was watching that. How much <laughs> fun was it to be a part of that with the different characters that were involved? Well, it's a lot
0: funner now to know you were part of it when it's over. I would say in the middle of it, you know it. It's like. Um, you know, if you're on the assembly line and the beer bottles are going by, like think Laverne and Shirley, you know, and you've got to fill those bottles and cap them and move to the next one. And you're on that. That's what it feels like. So you're just like, where's the next bottle? Here's the next bottle. Here's the next bottle. And that was the way it was. We were on the assembly line for five and a half hours. uh, But to be done with it, and we knew as it, that first of all, in the rehearsal on Saturday, we had all the guys out there, Tiger and Phil and, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady—they were—they were were out there testing the equipment, making sure they could play in the in the wireless microphones, the earpieces we had for them. Their golf carts were tricked out with these cameras, so we did a full rehearsal with them, and we kind of knew like this has a chance to be pretty special. I mean, this is really good. This is it's unique. It's not hardcore competition, but it is competition. It's fun. It's you know we got Charles Barkley in the booth. So we had all kind of, uh, ideas like this could be really good and let's just not mess it up. And then all of us just kind of took our place in the batting order. Um, and we, when it was our time of the plate, that's when you tried to deliver. And I think we all did that, but we didn't try to carry the whole lineup. We weren't trying to hit nine run home runs. Mm. You know, we were just up there doing our part and moving it to the next guy in the batting order. With all of those egos involved and all those alpha dogs, and I'm talking about the competitors too because they were fully engaged with us on the presentation of this. Uh, Phil and Tiger were totally in on all of it, even where the contest holes are going to be, where the drivable par fours are going to be, all these things that uh, we were planning out to entertain, they were involved in. So it was a real collaborative effort, and uh, I'm really proud to be a part of it. Now that it's over with, um, it's it's an honor to know that I was trusted with it. And then um, we raised $20 million in a single afternoon. And that number just keeps getting washed over. I cannot stress what $20 million that would not have existed had we not done that event uh, out there to places like the Red Cross and Feeding America and Chamber of Commerce Foundation it's just it's a miraculous feat and I'm so proud uh, to be a part of the group that made that happen like there are actual meals in people's hands today because of what happened last Sunday
1: when when that's going on and actually I want to ask you about the um, the video piece that that your colleague Ernie Johnson did because it was mm-hmm. he was not part of it um, for, for good reasons that video piece was fantastic. His words were perfect. The production crew with the video and the photos and everything, they did a fantastic job putting it together. Mm -hmm. Do you see that beforehand? At what point do you see that for the first time?
0: Yeah, I saw it. I mean, and I talked to Ernie too, and you know, the the backstory of that is Ernie Ernie did the match. He's the face of Turner Sports, so any big event like that, he's going to be a part of, and he couldn't be a part of this one. So that was the reason I was in the chair in the first place, uh, because Ernie couldn't be there. Maybe I would have been involved on a different level, but not in in the lead chair on the play-by-play. So, um, you know, I saw it, and uh, we all saw it, because one thing we don't want to do is we don't want to watch that live and get overcome with emotion and then have to pull it together and and uh, talk about it. As a matter of fact, I made the call. They wanted me and Charles to come uh, come back on camera after that and say a few words. And after I saw it on Saturday, I just told the producer, Jeff, who's great. And I just said, Jeff, I know uh, a few words to button this up might be impactful, but I'm not sure I can pull it off. So I would rather that we just go to break. <laughs> Let's just, his last you know, statement would take us to black and we'll go to break. Cause really, Ernie said everything that needed to be said. It was such a powerful piece. I'm sure he'll win an Emmy award for it, um, and that's what he does. He 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 has the perfect pulse. And uh, I encourage you to go look at it. if you haven't seen it. Just just do a uh, a search on Twitter or YouTube. Just Ernie Johnson, uh, the match, and you'll see it. But basically, my my perspective on it was to give it a proper lead, make sure people knew that this was Ernie's chair and I'm here because he chose not to be and do a proper lead to it that was uh, humble and that was with perspective and context to why he's not there and then let Ernie tell the rest of the story. And we asked him to do it in the first place. You know, our bosses are, you know, we have the same boss and Ernie's got to be a part of that show. So the fact that he couldn't be, uh, we were now thinking about, well, how could he be? And this is the way to do it when he can just, he can voice over an essay that he wrote in his home and then we can attach the images to it. And the, the, the guys did a great job uh, back at the Turner Studios putting that together because the, you know, the, Ernie's voice and the copy that he wrote and read is powerful, but the images that go with it even made it more powerful and impactful. And it was just the perfect tone uh, to set up what we were trying to do that particular day, which was have some fun and entertain and raise a bunch of money. So that it, it couldn't have come off any better. And I'm proud to know Ernie, proud to call him friend.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. And on that, uh, that's that's where we'll leave it for, uh, for this time. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. I, I hope that we are both back at the ballpark here uh, sooner than later and baseball is going to happen. Uh, but nonetheless, it's really good to catch up with you.
0: Yes, sir, Matt. Great to be with you, man. Hang in there,
1: buddy. That is Brewers Television play-by-play voice Brian Anderson joining us here on Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. I very much appreciate him taking some time. This is generally the time where I would tell you what the Brewers Classic game is going to be coming up this Wednesday on WTMJ. There has not yet been an official announcement, and I don't want to break something that I'm not supposed to break. So I'll just tell you, it's a good one. It's a really good one. I think you're going to enjoy it. A, a big moment for the organization and uh, something that Brewers fans are going to uh, remember very vividly in a positive, positive kind of way. So uh, that's going to be coming up this Wednesday from 6 to 9. That's as much as as I can say here at the moment because I have not seen any official announcement of what it's going to be and that should come up probably by the time you're listening to this if you're listening to it on Monday I bet uh, an official announcement has been made so you can probably check out WTMJ.com for that but you'll enjoy it coming up Wednesday at uh, six o'clock on WTMJ and streaming at WTMJ.com for uh, for folks that are in the WTMJ listening area. All right, that's it for uh, this edition of the podcast. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We will talk to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.